Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss the latest developments on the coronavirus and how the business and our people are adapting to provide for the changing needs of our customers and clients at the moment. With Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, Catherine McGrath, Head of Channels for Barclays UK, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Hello. Thank you for joining Word on the Street. Um, today, we've got a real treat. We're joined by Catherine McGrath, Head of Channels for Barclays UK. Um, Catherine, do you mind just explaining a little bit to the listeners what, what that actually is in, in non-Barclays speak? Of course. So it means that I uh, have the privilege of leading the teams of people that you see in our branches, the teams of people that you would hear if you call us in our contact centres, and also the teams that help to support our digital channels. Brilliant. That's super clear. So, Catherine, um, you know, we're doing these podcasts twice a week because clearly we're in unheralded times. But in your years in the industry, have you ever seen anything that compares to, to this in terms of the effects that we're seeing on our economy, on businesses, on people, on society? No, like many of us, you know, I've never seen or experienced anything like this. I was working in financial services in the UK during the financial crisis, and that was incredibly different because it really impacted primarily the economy, which then had a knock-on impact, but we weren't necessarily considered uh, concerned about our own health. The other reflection uh, that I have is the how all-encompassing this is. So my brother and sister are based in New Zealand, so the opposite side of the globe to here. They're in different industries to me. Um, but we're all having this big stress to do with work and home all at the same time. And certainly as a family, we never had a contingency plan for all three of us expressing, you know, experiencing that work and personal stress at an acute level simultaneously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I guess on a, on a professional level, your, your intray must be um, brimming at the moment. What, what are the top sort of say three challenges that, that your part of the business are facing at the moment? So I think the first thing um, and the most critical thing is to ensure that the customers that need our help the most get it. And that's whether through making sure that our mobile banking app and online banking is working in an amazing way to support customers that want to interact with us digitally whether it's making sure that our contact centres can handle the increased call volume that they're getting and that our branch colleagues can be there in their physical environment when so many of us have been told to stay at home and that they can support our customers coming into the branches as well. So that's number one, making sure that we are there to support our customers. Number two is making sure that uh, the colleagues that we have feel confident. So they're key workers, they're not able to be cocooned at home like so many other people are at this point in time. So making sure that those key workers feel really supported um, and motivated. And just to give you a sense of the scale, that's about 17,000 uh, colleagues in my team and most of them are in that key worker category to make sure that we're supporting our customers in the way that they need to be supported. And then I think the third big challenge is trying to think about um, making sure that we're adopting to this new norm really well. So customers are fundamentally changing the way that they interact with us. Well, some of them are and some of them aren't. 
So making sure that we pivot our support for customers and adjust to that new way that they want to interact with us is probably the third big thing on my intro at the moment. Yeah, great, great points. And I wonder also, Catherine, if you could share a little bit about, um, you know, what Barclays are doing to help support, um, you know, our, our customers, uh, our, our businesses, um, you know, people that we interact with. Is there anything you could share there about the kind of packages that, that we've put together to support our customers? Absolutely. So I think the first thing that we're doing is making sure that we are there, open, have colleagues supporting customers in our core role in terms of helping our community to continue to function. And whether that's having counters open so that business customers who are seen as essential and are still open and are still receiving cash can come in and bank that cash, or whether it's making sure that we can offer repayment holidays, interest-free lending, all those things that a bank can do in an unusual way to support customers in the current both personal stress but also financial stress. I think the second big thing that we're doing is we just announced yesterday um, the launch of the Barclays Foundation, and that's a 100 million fund, which initially is COVID-related, and it's to help vulnerable people who are impacted by COVID to both alleviate the social and economic hardship uh, that can be experienced. And one of the things that I love about that foundation um, is our colleagues are hugely enthusiastic at raising money for charities. And so Barclays will match uh, the money that the colleagues raise as well, which is just brilliant. Yeah, I think that's that's truly something to, to be proud of, isn't it? Um, and just, you mentioned earlier about your family, um, the other side of the world, which must be very difficult at the moment. Um, but, but clearly your your homeland's prime minister is, has been getting quite a lot of kudos for her treatment of, um, of both the Easter Bunny and Tooth Fairy as essential workers. You mentioned, you know, the colleagues that work for you, how they've stepped up. Um, but can you just share a little bit about how you feel about how staff have, um, have stepped up, have um, adapted, and also the degree to which, as you said, customers have responded to that and have changed some of the ways they're interacting with us? Uh, so let me just uh, touch on Jacinda. So she, as a prime minister, has had to front three of the biggest crises that New Zealand has ever faced. And one of the things that's characterised her leadership is she's made incredibly quick and decisive decisions, and she's been outstanding at communication. And I think one of the things that Barclays is consistently doing for our colleagues is helping on that very clear and consistent communication and fast decisions. So regarding the colleagues, um, in an environment when so many of us have been told to stay from home and, and work from home, and we've been getting incredibly uh, clear communications from the government on that, watching the colleagues uh, stand up and say, part of what our job is to do is support our customers. And that's to support our customers who are coming into the branches and who are calling the contact centres at a scale that we've never seen before. They have stepped up to that challenge and they've been kind, they've been graceful, they've been warm, and they've been particularly supporting some of the most vulnerable customers that we've got. So I'm incredibly proud and humbled of what they're doing and hugely inspired. The other piece that's been lovely, though, is that as we've started to reach out to customers, particularly those that are self-isolating at home and some of our most vulnerable customers, 
the feedback that we're getting from those customers about the fact that Barclays has reached out to just check in and see if there's anything that we can do to help and to check that they're okay has been amazing. And so it's really reinforced to, co to colleagues how critical their role is in supporting our customers, but therefore the broader community that we serve. I think from a customer perspective, um, on the main part, uh, customers have been pretty amazing. They've been very understanding when they've had to wait for a longer period of time on the phone because they recognise that there are fewer colleagues who are able to come into work at the moment. So, um, and they've been wonderful and have provided some wonderful feedback uh, to our colleagues as well. So hugely appreciative of the support of our customers at a time that's pretty challenging for all of us. And and I know, uh, Catherine, that specifically, um, you know, you you guys have really tried to help um, specific areas of of our customer base, like NHS essential workers and and that kind of thing, to to try to get them to front of queues and that kind of um, extra support. There's been some lovely things. So there's been systemic things that we've done where we've been able to put our NHS customers right at the front of our contact queues. But I've also seen um, Barclays has started uh, paying for the lunch of colleagues who are going into the branches because there's not that many places that are open to just go and get your lunch at the moment. And I've seen colleagues who have clubbed all that money together and instead of using it for their own lunches, they've sent pizzas into their local NHS uh, hospital, which the, uh, the NHS workers have really loved. And I saw another one uh, today where they're fundraising to get coffee machines in for the NHS as well. So seeing amazing things that colleagues are doing because they're so appreciative of the wonderful support we're getting, particularly from the NHS. That's that's um, very, very uh, heartwarming. So just, you know, on the last couple of comments, any, any thoughts about longer term changes that might come about with um, perhaps the way we operate or, or the changes to some of our services that, that you could imagine? Absolutely. We're seeing uh, obvious changes in terms of the way that we are all interacting. Uh, but the thing that I'm very thoughtful about is which one of those change, you know, which ones of those changes are going to become long term trends and which one of them, are, which ones of them are aberrations that once we get back to normal, we'll quickly ping back into our normal behaviours. So the clear things that we're seeing, there's a, absolutely an increased use of digital, which makes sense given a lot of people are stuck at home. Um, there is a very strong and declining use of cash. And again, that's unsurprising given that people, one, are worried that the virus can spread on cash and two, can't get out to an ATM or anywhere else where they might be able to use cash. And three, actually, we're seeing small businesses uh, and retailers in particular now choosing not to offer cash as a form of payment. Um, and then the third big trend that we're seeing is a real value being put on people supporting people. And so there's some interesting, some might say conflicting, I think they're completely in harmony trends of an increasing use of digital, but an increased value on people supporting people. Um, and what I think that means is that we will increasingly use digital for the transactional stuff and the things that we just take for granted in the way that we manage our everyday lives. But I think the other piece that we are absolutely seeing is that both customers and colleagues 
and being reminded of the value that those conversations that uh, financial services people can have to support customers and how much they can resonate and how much value they can add in the normal course of life, but particularly in point of a crisis. So I think we'll see more of that digital uh, direction coming, but we will absolutely have it augmented, enhanced and led by brilliant people uh, supporting amazing customers. That's that's great. I think that's a trend that we can all all get behind. Um, and just lastly, is there is there anything sort of specific that's sort of keeping you up at night at the moment? Um, I'm an incredibly lucky person, uh, so I have an ability to go to sleep and stay asleep. So I thank <laughs> my parents for that because I think it's one of the greatest gifts that parents can give to their children is an ability to sleep. Um, so not keeping me awake, but the primary focus is absolutely about having making sure our key and critical workers feel really confident, irrespective of where and how they're working. And we're asking them to change the way we work. We're asking them to still continue to come to work when many people that they see on social media are staying firmly at home. And I want them to do that so that they can continue to feel confident and happy about providing that brilliant support to our customers. Because we're very clear that in a time of crisis, it's when our customers need us the most. And it's fundamentally important to us that we are there for our customers when and how they need us. Yeah, very good. And so, Will, turning to you, our CIO, um, same question, really, Catherine, Catherine just answered. But, but what about you? What's keeping you up at night? I know that you know, you're constantly talking to teams of in-house and external economists, strategists, fund selectors, all the other experts that that um, that give us insights. Um, and, you know, we can see from the kind of output um, that there is a lot being thought about, discussed, written about. What, what's what's currently sort of top of the worry list as far as you can see? Um, Nikki, yes, uh, there's certainly a lot of output at the moment. And I, I, like Catherine, I used to be a very good sleeper. Uh, that's not so much the case at the moment. I have to say the children seem to be coming in at all, at all hours. But th- apart from children, I think the main thing that's keeping us awake is the exit strategy. Um, and this is really, you know, we're getting good kind of daily reinforced evidence that containment works. However, we still don't really know how we're going to relax these containment measures and wake up the parts of the economy that have been put into that kind of induced coma um, without waking up the virus. And now Asia is providing us some useful precedent, but life is a long way from normal, uh, even there. Um, There's just no real playbook here. You are seeing kind of live on the ground research kind of feeding policy uh, in real time. Um, now, it's interesting, I think, also that behavioral science is having quite a big influence. So we have Rob, you know, Dr. Pete Brooks and, uh, and team. Um, but here, what they're doing is helping to, um, uh, you know, for us, they help guide and inform our investment decision making. However, in government, the role of the behavioral um, guys seems to be key to kind of tire kicking the viability uh, of the various currently suggested exit strategies. So will people respond uh, to relaxed and then retightened containment, the so-called adaptive policy described by um, epidemiologist Neil Ferguson uh, in his Imperial College report? Um, how successfully we managed to get back to a semblance of normality before the arrival of a vaccine at some point in 2021, maybe, will have massive implications for the shape of the recovery, obviously. So the UK, for example, um, you've basically shut down, according to some estimates, about 10% of the economy. Um, you can't keep that closed uh, indefinitely. Uh, and the longer it um, it goes on, um, the more costly that's going to become. So the exit strategy is the main thing. 
And and Will, we obviously had a very torrid um, market environment across March. Um, in April, we started to see a little bit of settling. Do you think we've seen the worst here? I, I mean, I think I know what you're going to say, but um, has anything <laughs> changed? No, I'm going to be a buzzkill again. I mean, it's really impossible to say, unfortunately, Nikki. We, we can say two things. So one, um, based on our assessment of investor sentiment, corroborated by others uh, in our research provider universe, there is already... Um, a lot of bad news, um, a, a lot of the bad news that definitely lies ahead in the price. Now, whether all of these future bumps in the road ahead are covered by this sentiment swoon that we've seen, um, that's a matter for some debate. But we can say that there's already a lot in that. So the market's already quite a long way through their reaction. The second point is the response from governments and central banks has been reassuringly vigorous. Uh, you know, the freshly inked crisis playbook from 07 to 09 has certainly been helpful here. Now, in the context of these two factors, the evidence trickling in, like I say, that containment works um, has been enough for the riskier, uh, more economically sensitive parts of the world's capital markets to kind of rally strongly. Um, and we, for our part, we remain comfortable suggesting that there are more paths ahead where stocks and credit are materially higher in six, 12, six to 12 months time uh, than where they are lower. And there's still quite a lot going on in the oil um, market at the moment. Have we seen any kind of agreement or likely agreement on supply cuts coming through? Yeah, I mean, I, so we d we have been covering this a bit, um, but I guess you know some part of the problem is that this strategy of lowering oil prices makes sense if you view it from the view it from the perspective of the kind of two main protagonists here. You know, major low cost oil producers like Saudi Arabia and Russia. So if you think about it, you're eyeing a massive decline in oil demand. Um, the result of um, you know the attempts to contain this latest uh, coronavirus, um, you are already you've already lost significant market share if you're these two to the you know higher cost producers such as the US over the last couple of years, and you can expect several large exporters such as Venezuela, Iran, and Libya uh, to come back online at some point. Now. The answer in this scenario is to target low oil prices to help grow the market and your role in it over time. So the incentives are there to keep this going for a while. And you could even say that um, these, both of these guys, for their different reasons, have relatively deep pockets to sustain the, uh, uh, sustain the, um, uh, uh, the sort of market share war for a little bit longer. Nonetheless, I think it's worth pointing out that even without these uh, market share strategies from Saudi Arabia and Russia, this would probably already be a very oversupplied market anyway, with the hunk that um, the coronavirus is kind of taking out of global oil demand. If you think about it, you know, even without that, the global oil industry was running out of space um, to store the excess supply. So even without the, uh, you know, the market share war, um, and that never tends to be a very good omen uh, for prices. So even if you do see some agreement reached to restrain supply, it's hard to be confident that spot prices for oil are not going to remain on the floor for some time yet. Great. So I think, um, you know, we've obviously got a long weekend coming up, Easter. Um, hopefully, uh, both of you will get the chance to relax a little bit. Um, and certainly with markets closed, that should uh, provide us a little bit of comfort or, or at least quiet. Um, I know on Monday, the US and Europe are still open, aren't they, Will? So um, there will still be some activity, um, but, but we'll be back with Word on the Street next week. So do please join us then. And thank you very much to Catherine and Will for joining us today. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.